Welcome to the Highland Southern Baptist Podcast. Each week, Keith Perrin will deliver a Holy Spirit-inspired message. If you have a Bible, you can read along with us. Our mission is to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ from Hillsboro, Missouri to the rest of the world. Now, here's Pastor Keith. Matthew chapter 15 and verse 29 is where we're going to start. <clears throat> 32 years of ministry and the most difficult thing to deal with has never been conflict. Conflict's never easy, but it's certainly never been the most difficult. Has never been sin, the effects of it, the unrepentantness. Um, has never been death. Has never been sickness. The most difficult thing to deal with in 32 years is the protection of my heart. Now, protection of the heart can be, it can, it can show itself in many, many different examples. <clears throat> this is not something that's uncommon. It's common in circles of pastors. Nearly every pastor that I've had conversations with say that it's about the same thing. Um, as a pastor, and not saying it doesn't happen to anybody else, in 32 years, you get hurt a lot. And the, the response typically of getting hurt is withdraw. Um, can a minister be a good minister if he withdraws? So if he can't withdraw, he must engage. But if he engages, as many times as you get hurt, you know it's just a matter of time, you're going to get hurt again, right? So if you're going to engage, protect your heart, you guard it. Can a minister minister with a hard heart? Um, so by definition, what I'm saying, protect the heart, is um, an active relationship with Jesus Christ that is continually being the source for what we as individuals do. Now, what I mean by that is, we're going to see Jesus' motivation and intentions in these verses. We're going to see the intentions and motivations of the people that surround him in these verses. And we're going to use them as a comparison. Um. As Christians, we have to be careful not to let our hearts get bitter. We have to be careful not to let our hearts get prideful. We have to be careful not to let our hearts get hard. And this isn't something that just applies to preachers. I mean, how many of you guys have had things happen in your life that forced you to close yourself off from particular people? If those of us who know the gospel and are willing to share the gospel close ourselves off from those who need the gospel, what good is it? It's no good at all. Protecting the heart means, in many cases, and I can say being here at Highland as long as I have, there have been cases where somebody comes to me, asks me for advice. I give them advice, they go against the advice. The consequences are the consequences I told them they would go through if they didn't take the advice. 
and they've come to me eight, nine, ten times over 20 years. Ask for advice. Give them the advice. They reject the advice. Bad, bad consequences. Come for advice. Give them advice. It's never my advice. It's Bible advice. It's the only way I stay protected and keep myself from getting sued. Is if somebody comes and says, somebody calls me on a witness stand and says, hey, you told somebody this. And I'm like, yep, because I believe this. And right here's where it says it. <clears throat> so freedom of religion is a huge protection as long as you stay within the as long as you stay within the context of Christianity. But the fact is, when somebody comes to you the eighth or ninth time and asks you for your opinion, after rejecting your opinion every time, what does that tend to lead you to do? I, I mean, I'm going to share with you what the human side of me wants to do. The human side of me wants to say, Why? Do you want to even sit with me? If you've come to me seven, eight, nine times and haven't taken my advice, you're just wasting my time if you want to come sit down and ask me for advice. That's what the human in me wants to say. But what do you think Jesus would say? So in that specific instance, that, that consistent rejection of the advice, it's creating a hardened heart in me so that no longer do I feel compassion for this individual, for the circumstances that they're in, for the conflict they may be feeling, but instead I'm responding to them based on the emotions of a person who's a Christian who has a heart that no longer is capable of feeling. And that's a problem. Because as Christians, are we supposed to notice when there's a need? Yes. Are we supposed to feel compassion in the circumstance to provoke action to solve the problem? Yes. This includes everyone. When we begin to be compassionate and we have hearts that are, are willing to feel, then we begin to have that compassion for lost people. And if you have compassion for lost people and you genuinely are concerned about that individual's soul, just how far are you willing to go to share the gospel with them? There's no limit to the length that we're willing to go to share the gospel with them. I ain't bragging, but I'll tell you, this was the Lord, 100%. I uh, go over to, to Calvary yesterday. We're looking through stuff, and I went in and specifically said, you have a printer? Well, they had a printer. Took the printer. Went back in. Everybody else is running around picking up all these big items. I went straight for the offices. Started looking in the desks. On one of the desks was this little box with a red lid. And that box had cards with names, addresses, phone numbers on it. And in the very front, the card said, Prospects. How many people do you think walked through that room and just passed that box up? Do you know what the Lord told me the instant that I opened that lid and it said Prospects? He said, Take the box and send an invitation to every person in it. Because these may be people who had visited a church, just closed its doors. They may still be looking for a church, or they may have decided they wasn't going to look for a church. I know the Lord told me that for some reason. But if I was just worried about getting stuff, do you think the Lord would have even pecked me on the shoulder and said, hey, here's an opportunity? I have plenty of stories to tell you, like I just did a minute ago, about when well, my heart's hard, 
or what my response to that is. When people take advantage, when people take things for granted, when people hurt people who don't deserve to be hurt, when people manipulate people who don't deserve to be manipulated. And there's been this constant over 32 years, finding myself in this spot, and then having to move to get myself out of it. The protection of the heart is a constant back and forth for individuals who are Christians. So I'm going to read. Start with verse 29 in Matthew chapter 15. It says, in departing from there, Jesus just left, uh, he just left uh, Tyre and Sidon, the region of Tyre and Sidon. Departing from there, Jesus went alone by the Sea of Galilee, and having gone up to the mountain, he was sitting there. Great multitudes came to him, bringing with him those who were lame, crippled, blind, dumb, and many others, and they, let, and they laid them down at his feet, and he healed them, so that the multitude marveled as they saw the dumb speak, uh, speaking, the crippled restored, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel." So Jesus just leaves. He's, he's, if you read the, the verses previous to this, he's got a quite a few people that are surrounding him. Some individuals are asking for things specific from him. Um, he takes off walking by the Sea of Galilee, and it's, it's, uh, interesting that it says alone. There were circumstances, and I get it. There were circumstances that, that, uh, that Jesus faced throughout the Gospels where he liked to isolate himself occasionally. I mean, my wife has even asked me before, she was like, how can you go to a restaurant, sit in a restaurant, eat by yourself? I'm like, you know what? One of the best times of my life is to go sit in a restaurant by myself and eat. It's usually lunchtime. Everybody else is busy at lunchtime. If I get the chance to go and sit down at a restaurant off in a corner somewhere and just sit there for an hour without the phone ringing, without text messages coming in, without just me, my food, and just... The Lord and just time. It's awesome. And Jesus is often looking for that time by himself. A lot of times it says that he's moved away from people alone for the purpose of prayer. He, he liked his alone time. Now, Jesus goes up on this mountain, and then all of a sudden, on his alone time, people begin to carry individuals who have all of these different problems. And they lay them down at his feet. Jesus is having Jesus time. Why do you suppose he didn't get up and walk off alone? Because he saw the need. He saw the need. Now, we know that he saw the need <clears throat> based on the next set of verses. 32 says, And Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I feel compassion for the multitude because they have remained with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I do not wish to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. Jesus wasn't only concerned about these individuals' um, well-being, their health, but now he's saying, these people have been with me for, I mean, if you're looking for alone time, how many of you guys had somebody come over and visit and they overstay their welcome? Have you ever had that happen? And it's, and it's honestly, I mean, you're not going to be rude. You're going to ask them to leave or anything, but they're sitting there, and then all of a sudden in your mind, you're going, boy, I really wish these people would leave. I mean, could you go three days? If you, I mean, you were just having some alone time, go up on the mountain, decide that you're going to sit there on the mountain. They start bringing people to you, 
and healing them, and this doesn't stop for three solid days. I mean, I don't even know if he slept. Because the compassion he had for people compelled him to continue to remain with the individuals who seemed to have interrupted his alone time. Three days. Then he starts thinking, well, maybe these people do need to leave. But I'm not going to send them away hungry. I don't want to send them away hungry. If I send them away hungry, they may faint on the way back to wherever they're going. Verse 33 says, Disciples said to him, Where would we get so many loaves, or so many loaves in a, in a desolate place to satisfy such a great multitude? And Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven, and a few small fish. He directed the multitude to sit down on the ground. He took the seven loaves and the fish, and giving thanks, he broke them and started giving them to the disciples, and the disciples in turn to the multitudes. They all ate and were satisfied. They picked up what was left over the broke, uh, over, over, left over of the broken pieces, seven large baskets full. Those who ate were 4,000 men besides the women and children. Sending away the multitudes, he got into the boat and came to the region of Magadan. Magadan. He feeds them, sends them on their way, gets in a boat, beaches himself at a different spot. It says in 16, chapter 16, the Pharisees and Sadducees came up and testing him, asked him to show them a sign from heaven. But he answered and said to them, when it is evening, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red. In the morning, there will be a storm today for the sky is red and threatening. Do you know how to discern the appearance of the sky, but not discern the signs of the times? An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and a sign will not be given it except the sign of Jonah. And he left them and went away. The sign of Jonah. What was the sign of Jonah? Jonah didn't have a fish problem. Jonah had a heart problem. Jesus just fed 4,000 men, not counting women and children. He just spent three days healing their woes. He miraculously multiplied these fish. He has spent the previous parts of this gospel with examples of miracles, with examples of his ability to have a deeper, greater knowledge theologically than anyone of the religious day, And these guys walk up to him and say, give us a sign. They're testing him. But Jesus, just like all other times that he's tested, doesn't fall for it. He says that an adulterous generation seeks a sign. Well, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense in context. What correlation is there between an adulterous generation and seeking a sign? How many of you guys have ever made a deal with God? Ever made a deal with him? You ever said, hey God, if you do this, I'll do this. 
But you know what that's really saying? That's really saying, if you look at the other side, God, if you don't do this, I'm not doing this. And someone who's a believer in Jesus is supposed to be someone who God gives a command to, and they go, okay, Lord, I'll do that. God's not in the deal-making business. He doesn't need to be in the deal-making business. They're an adulterer because they're looking for what they're looking for and not what God's looking for. Jonah was looking for what he was looking for and not what God was looking for. Jonah was mad because the people of Nineveh repented. He was mad because God did not send fire down from heaven and consume every person in Nineveh. He was mad because hellfire damnation did not come down on the people that God said that he was going to destroy because of their sinful ways. He was mad. He was mad why? Because what Jonah wanted to happen didn't happen. So if you remember what God did... What did he do? Jonah's mad, huffing and puffing, sitting on top of the hill. It's hot. God grows him a little plant that grows over the top of his head and provides him some shade. Jonah probably appreciated that, didn't he? But then God gave a little worm a job. He said, I want you to go over there and I want you to eat that plant. And that little worm ate that plant and destroyed it from over the top of Jonah's head. Jonah was mad because he was getting sunburned. And the point of the story was, God wants what God wants. And although we may want what we want, what's more important? What God wants is more important. So Jesus didn't reject the test for the sake of the test. He rejected the test because there was a test in the first place. Jesus is like, this is much simpler than you're trying to... You want to see a sign because you think I'm some kind of a circus act. But he's saying the signs that I perform, they have depth and they have purpose. They're affecting people's lives. They're not for your entertainment. These Pharisees, just like Jonah, have a heart problem. They're not the only ones, though. Verse 5 says, And the disciples came to the other side and had forgotten to take bread. And Jesus said to them, Watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began to discuss among themselves, saying, It is because we took no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, You men of little faith, why do you discuss among yourselves that you have no bread? Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the five thousand of the five thousand and how many baskets you took up? Or the seven loaves of the four thousand and how many large baskets you took up? How is it that you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread, but beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees? Then they understood that he did not say to beware of the leaven of the bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Jesus says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. The disciples literally are like, 
oh, Jesus is mad at us because we forgot to bring bread with us. And I can see Jesus doing the here's your sign thing. I just healed a whole bunch of people on top of this mountain. I just took a very small amount of food and fed 4,000 people. You guys were even there when I fed 5,000 people with a very small amount of bread and fish. And you think that I'm, I mean, I, honestly, I, I'll paraphrase this part. Jesus, do you think that if I wanted fish, that I couldn't get fish? Do you think that if I wanted bread, that I can't get bread? Did you not just see what I did? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. What was the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Everything they did, they did for their own benefit. Everything they did was good for them. Just like Jonah. God said go. Jonah said no. Sent a, sent a whale, a fish, to swallow him. Spent three days in the belly of that fish. God finally convinced him to go to Nineveh. He goes to Nineveh. He shares the message God told him to share. The people repent. Jonah gets mad. Why? I mean, I could just see Jonah. I, I told God no for goodness sake. I spent three days in the belly of a fish for goodness sake. Then I finally give in, make the trip all the way to Nineveh to share the message God shared and... He didn't do it. Jonah was worried about Jonah. Had a heart problem. The Pharisees and Sadducees, they worried about themselves. They had a heart problem. One of the number one reasons people don't share the gospel? Just about every one of them. Start with the letter I. And I'm telling you, folks, if God tells us to go make disciples and we come up with any excuse at all, do we have a heart problem? Yes. God gives us a gift and he calls us to fulfill that gift in active service in his kingdom's work. And we have any excuse. Do we have a heart problem? Yes. If in our faithfulness and our obedience, we are motiva motivated with a heart of self-preservation, do we have a heart problem? Yes. Because I'll tell you something I believe with all of my heart, folks, because the Bible continues to give us examples of it. God has never asked anybody to do anything that he has not equipped them to do. He has never asked the church to do anything that he has not provided the resources for it to do. God has never asked anybody to do anything that he has not given them the ability to accomplish. There is not one person on this planet who easily gives their heart over 
to the Lord. Because we have our own lines through which we justify things. Our own motivations and our own desires that we seek to fulfill. Our own benefits, our own... Folks, the fact is, without Christ, we wouldn't have compassion at all. Not a kingdom compassion. I've told the story many times of the church I was a youth pastor in. 40-something kids, the lock-in. <clears throat> Five kids saved. Bathroom door got broke. Business meeting, report time. Had a lock-in, five kids got saved. Yeah, but who broke the door? I get it, folks. I mean, I, I understand our responsibility to take care of God's property. Did you know when I come here that they had a rule that you couldn't hang anything on these walls? Didn't hang nothing on these walls. Nothing. You know what? Look, if you look hard, you'll see it on all of them. See these little spots? Look over there, some over there too. See those little spots? You know what those are? Those are glory spots. You know why? Because there were little, little kids saved as a result of those spots. Does that mean that once in a while we got to pull the we got to pull the tiki tack off where the posters once were for Vacation Bible School? Yeah. Is it worth going back later and have to pull tiki tack off the floor because we had to stick some things up for Vacation Bible School? Yes. Remember the old carpet? We put tape on the floor. Duct tape. We didn't think we pulled the tape up and leave tracks. Pulled tape up, left tracks. Oh my goodness. Nobody intended to leave tracks. But if a church has to live with duct tape, sticky stuff, left on the carpet, that as a result of, some little kids gave their life to Jesus, what should we spend more emphasis on? We gotta make sure, folks, that when we do ministry, when we live life outside of the church, we consistently have to make sure that we check our hearts. And make sure that when we do what we do, that we are driven and motivated to do what Jesus would do. And I am so glad that He's never too busy to hear me. I'm so glad that He never seeks His alone time so much that he's willing to put me off. I'm so glad that I serve a God who had the compassion and a believer who was willing to be faithful who at one point in time delivered that gospel message to me. We're not the end of the chain. It moves on from here. The only thing that makes it move on How's your heart? Matt used to me being done at 10 after, so he just went down to get Diana. <clears throat> if you're here today, you've never placed your trust in Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior, never followed through in believers' baptism, I'd love to take whatever time's necessary to sit down in front of you or across the room, however you're comfortable. 
to talk to you about the one that gave his life to pay the penalty uh, for every one of our sins. I think that most, if not all, the people in here have placed their trust in Jesus. And I believe that this message applies to every one of us. Because we do allow our hearts to become flippant. We allow our hearts to become hard. We allow our hearts to become passive. And it has everything in the world to do with limiting God's effect on the world that we live in. If you have a heart problem today, just ask the Lord to reveal it. And then ask Him to soften it, to solve the problem. Because all of us have one. Maybe not now, but used to, and probably will again. to spend this time between you and the Lord. Thank you for joining us today. If you have questions about becoming a Christian, prayer requests, or just want to say hello, you can reach us at facebook.com forward slash Highland Southern BC. We hope that this message was encouraging to all of our listeners. Have a blessed week.